Hey there, and welcome to this Ocean Life podcast. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Josh Peterson. Today's episode is brought to us by our good friends at Mile 22, makers of surf and paddleboard straps, including the world-famous Monster Straps, which I have multiple pairs of and love and take on surf trips wherever I go. Designed in California by folks who surf and paddle every day. Check them out online at mile22.com. Now, today in episode number 59, we speak with Maddie LeBlanc, an amazing young woman from Ontario, Canada, who continually shares her passion for stand-up paddling, SUP. We hear of Maddie's discovery of the sport of SUP as a young girl, the evolution of her paddling in local rivers and great lakes. Maddie shares her story of how the loss of two women close to her inspired her to create her nonprofit event on board to raise money for cancer research through SUP events. Maddie takes us through her competitive racing in the Ontario area and tells the amazing story of being invited to represent Team Canada in the ISA World Paddleboarding Championships recently in 2018 in China and the challenges she faced during that event. Maddie shares some great thoughts on SUP and being in the water means to her from a spiritual and environmental perspective and how she's actively sharing that with others through her own college thesis project and active speaking engagements. A lot of great inspiration and fun stories here with Maddie. So thanks everybody for being here and supporting the podcast. Hope you're getting out and doing something great in the water, having some fun and picking up some trash or doing something else great for the water. So now, thanks for being here. Let's get into the ocean life of Maddie LeBlanc. Hey there, Maddie. Welcome to the podcast today. Hi, Josh. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, as we we're just kind of chatting, you know, I th- I'm pretty certain uh, we're like nearing kind of 60-ish interviews or 60 podcasts, and I'm fairly certain you hold the honor of being like the core freshwater, um, you know, water sports enthusiast who's been on the show. So congratulations for that. (laughs) Wow. I I feel so honored actually. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm checking out where you live and you're kind of sandwiched between two massive lakes of Lake Ontario and and Lake Erie, right? So you have like huge water, and then there's Lake Huron. There's all the great lakes all around you. So there's massive water everywhere. Um, but it's freshwater, but still, it's a lot of challenging conditions, you know. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny actually. Um, I have a lot of friends who do surf on the Great Lakes, and a lot of people look at us like we have five heads when we tell them that. And yeah, um, yeah, we have some pretty gnarly conditions here too. Right, and I'm, yeah, I'm here. I'm excited to hear about it because you. Let me again give a little breakdown for folks listening to kind of set the stage for where we'll go today. But you know, you as a, uh, a f- I mean, a world competitive SUP person, you were on the Canadian ISA team. You just went to China back in November. Going to hear about that. Um, you are a founder of a nonprofit where you basically raise funds for via paddling for folks battling cancer. Um, you have some really neat stuff around speaking, you know, speaking on um, paddling in the environment and paddling as it relates to spirituality and, you know, as, as individuals and everything. So a lot of fun stuff coming our way here. (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait to dive in. (laughs) Cool. So one of the things I'd love to hear about is where you're at, what those conditions are like, because here we are in March, I'm on the coast of California and I've been complaining about like, you know, 55 degree Fahrenheit weather, like constantly complaining about it. And where you are, that probably sounds really nice, that, you know, warmth, et cetera. So, so to start by 
do a couple of things. Describe where you're at, the town, the conditions, where you paddle, what it's like, um, and then move into how you first got started in SUP um, back in the day. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm from Welland, Ontario, which is located in the heart of the Niagara region. And uh, yeah, as you already mentioned, we're kind of squished right between two Great Lakes, which is really cool. Um, they're both like a half an hour drive from my house. So if I want to go paddling on the lakes, I have that option. Mm. Um, but in Welland, we're actually located in a really neat spot. We have um, the history of the old Welland Canal located like right in the middle of my town. So when I actually started stand-up paddleboarding, that's where I took it in the spring and summer because um, it was all flat water. Uh, it's super chill. It's not really that wide at all. <laughs> um, so it's a great spot for beginners to get involved. And uh, during the winter months, I hop over to the Welland River, which runs parallel to the Welland Canal. Um, but unfortunately, like this whole week, even though it's been March and it's sunny, um, it's been like negative 15 oh, uh, degrees Celsius. Yeah. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to so, stop feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh my gosh. It's so unfortunate. Like last weekend, um, it got to above zero and my friends and I were yeah. all freaking out. Like we're messaging each other. We're like, <laughs> we have to get on the river before it freezes over again. <laughs> oh, wow. So what do you wear yeah. when you do that? I mean, are you like gloves and hoods? And I mean, what do you, what's your apparel when you go paddle in that kind of cold? Yeah. Um, man, I was such a kook when I first started winter paddling. Like I had <laughs> a wetsuit with like booties and really, yeah. really warm winter socks. And, um, uh, seven millimeter gloves and I just was like man wow. I'm still cold like what am I doing like how can I <laughs> pull this off um so actually in the past two years I've been able to get my hands on a dry suit oh a right on <laughs> yeah yeah because I can imagine like trying to do that and then you fall and then you're cold and then your wool socks are wet and damp and I mean so you go full-on dry suit and gloves and everything Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would be so dead without the dry suit. Yeah, <laughs> Definitely need it. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, but so right now it's really cold, but in the summertime, it looks nice and warm. And uh, I mean, it's probably a different world, you know, come, you know, May, June, July. Yeah. Like, man, I love paddling here in the summer. And especially because we have fresh water, um, it gets warm but not like really hot ocean warm. Like I went to Nicaragua last year and stepping in that water, I felt like I was in like a hot tub or something. I was like, wow, <laughs> yeah. this is really warm. Um, but yeah, being so close to the Great Lakes, I love uh, the freshness of it too. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So then what about the Great Lakes? I mean, will you make... I know you're doing a ton of races and stuff. And we'll talk about those. But like, do you track conditions? Do you have a crew or anything where you're like, oh, let's go downwind or maybe even sup surf one of the spots, you know, that might get wind swell. How often do you go sort of jump into the Great Lakes and, and go paddle there? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I would have to say definitely getting more exposure to the Great Lakes has come in my paddling career in the last two years. Um, even though I've been paddling for like six now <laughs> yeah. and, uh, yeah, um, I have some friends in Oakville sometimes that I'll go paddling with. Um, my coach is located in Port Credit. So just outside of Toronto. And sometimes, uh, if conditions are really good, I love heading North of Lake Ontario. Um, cause you can get some really cool downwinders there. Um, in Niagara, it's a little bit tougher because we are located South, um, on the Great Lakes. So, 
with wind direction, it really kind of makes it tricky for doing any cool um, <laughs> downwinders because yeah. it's hard to get that swell if it's coming, like if the wind's coming from the south. Right, right. I get you, get you. But you got a lot of options though, which is cool. Like you said, you're 30 minutes from two massive lakes, and the wind changes. You have a lot of water near you, canals and lakes, etc. Um, so you have a lot of options, which is great. Now, so how did you first get into like SUP? Yeah, um, really cool story actually. Um, so I never really grew up by the water. Like even though we had the Welling Canal um, located right in the middle of my town, I never ever took advantage of it. Like I never grew up rowing or canoeing or kayaking, which is what Welland is really well known for. Yeah. Um, so when I was about 10 years old, I was up north. Um, where was I? Oh, Sable Beach, <laughs> just off the coast of Lake Huron. And my family and I were sitting on the beach and we saw these two guys bring out these two giant um, Nash sup boards and they were like really old models. So these <laughs> boards looked like bananas essentially. And <laughs> I just remember being a kid looking at them and I was so fascinated by what these guys were carrying out to the water. Um, so I looked at my parents and I said, mom, dad, like, what is that? Like, what are those things that those guys are carrying? <laughs> and they both looked at me like just in complete shock. Like they had no idea what that was either. Yeah. Um, because again, like my family and I, like no paddling, no water recreation right. background whatsoever. Um, so my parents were in just as much shock as I was. Um, so we watched the guys go out. They went for a paddle and then they came back in. And as soon as they got off their boards, my mom kind of pushed me to go talk to them. <laughs> She's like, Maddie, you're going to regret not asking those men what those are if you don't. Yeah go and take this moment <laughs> and I just remember being like 10 years old I was so tiny I was like oh my gosh no mom I'm so scared and she's like Maddie just do it <laughs> so I did I worked up the courage to go up to them and I said hey like what are those <laughs> and they both looked at me and they said oh these are called stand-up paddle boards would you like to try <laughs> and that moment has forever changed my life really? getting on these boards that day yeah I can't even Oh, talk about the feeling. It was just unreal. Wow. So what was it? I mean, like you stood on this thing and you started paddling. Was it, I mean, can you describe the sense of flow, the balance, the water moving underneath you being so, I mean, like you said, very new to you, the, the idea of just being on the water flowing around was, was kind of foreign at that time. So what was it that just hooked you with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, actually, if you go to my website, I think I have a picture of the first time I got on the board, which is pretty cool. Um, but I was standing on the front and I was holding the paddle and my brother actually hopped on with me and he was on the back. And it was kind of neat because my mom was standing in the water too beside us, just making yeah. sure we weren't like hitting people <laughs> swimming or anything. Um, but I think what I loved about it in that moment was that uh, because I was such a small child to stand on something so much bigger than myself and to get this kind of really unique perspective of the water yeah. like looking down and seeing how blue it was and I remember looking at like the horizon and the sky and just being so fascinated that I've never had a view like that before from anything else in my life and to have so much control over something so cool too yeah. like my brother's just tagging along for the ride and I'm kind of like man this is cool I get to like go where I want to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, it just opened a whole new world for you just immediately. And I'm looking at that picture. It's cool. Your mom's holding the, the nose of the board, you're paddling and your brother's in the back. And so that was, yeah. so that was in 2014 that when that happened, when was that? Yeah, That would have been, 
2007. Okay, got it. So the picture, okay, you posted it in 2014. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so you, you're you a kid, you jump on an STP board, you love it. So then take us forward from there. I, you know, when did you get one? When did you start like paddling, paddling and entering races and just kind of really got super hooked and made it part of your lifestyle? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that year was 2007. Um, so yeah, for the next five years, <laughs> I begged and begged and begged my parents to get me a SUP board because I loved it so much. And the first thought I had after I tried it was, oh my goodness, mom, dad, like we can bring this to the Welling Canal. Like how much fun would that be for us to kind of do it back at home? And um, just to raise the money for it though was a lot for my family. Um, So my parents made a deal with me (laughs) to say that they would buy me a SUP board for Christmas one year. Um, if I would pay for half and it would be the only Christmas present I'd get. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, done deal. (laughs) Um, and because I was only 10 at the time, all I had was like babysitting jobs. Yeah. Um, yeah, for five years I saved up and in 2012, um, it was really neat. It was Christmas morning. I walked downstairs and I saw this giant Riviera paddle sitting in the middle of our living room and my parents were pulling my leg that morning. They were saying, like, Maddie, you know, it's winter time. Like, you can't really go out to paddle right now. So we just bought you the paddle, but, like, we'll still <laughs> oh. keep looking around for a board in the spring. And <laughs> I looked at them, and I, I didn't even care. I just was so happy I had the paddle. I was like, this is amazing. Thank you so much. Um, and then at the end of the day, they were like, they looked at me, and they said, Maddie, really? You, you thought we were just <laughs> going to get to the paddle? And so I ran to the garage. The board wasn't in the garage. I ran downstairs to my dad's workshop and there it was sitting in the middle of the workshop. Oh, you must have freaked out. Oh, I did. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. I was so <laughs> thrilled about this board. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. So then you're mm-hmm. what, you're 15-ish at that time? Give yeah. Yeah. So cool. yeah, I would have been yeah, because that was 2012. So yeah, I would have been about 15. Got it. Okay, cool. So then you start, you're on this thing and you're, I'm guessing that you're begging your folks to throw on the roof of the car and the truck to take you down to go paddle and everything. And so you just started working with it. And when did you kind of, when did you start deciding to get into like racing and just, you know, or develop a community of paddlers around you, you could start having some fun with? Definitely. Um, It's actually, it's pretty remarkable, like the journey of when I look back of that first moment getting on the paddleboard back at home and then where I'm at now. Um, so yeah, I guess the first time I got to take it out was the spring of 2013. And then a year later I created my fundraiser and through my onboard fundraiser, I got to meet a lot of sponsors in the community who are also a part of stand up paddleboarding. Um, cause our first Niagara surf shop had just opened up that year as well. Oh, cool. Um, so in 2015, the second year I hosted the fundraiser, um, one of my sponsors, they were called Osmosis, uh, they came up to me and they said, Maddie, like, would you like to try a race board to paddle for the event this year? Mm. And I was like, a race board? Like, I didn't even know you could erase these things. <laughs> like, are you serious? Um, and they looked at me and they said, yeah, like, you got to try it. And so trying that race board the first year at my fundraiser, that was insane like I immediately got hooked on how much faster I could go um (laughs) and just the feeling of that board um in the water so that year was 2015 and then I started racing 
in 2016 because then the following year I told myself I was like Maddie you have to try at least one race <laughs> and uh, that race was kind of funny I drove up with my mom to Barrie Ontario which is about three hours north and their body of water up there is called Lake Simcoe so also fresh water as well yeah yeah and uh, that was a really funny race because uh, it was my first one and I signed up for the one kilometer loop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my mom looked at me at the end of the race. Uh, I got off my board and I was so happy I finished that race. And she looked at me and she's like, really, Maddie? We just drove three <laughs> hours for an 11 minute race. <laughs> yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. It was so funny. But yeah, just looking back at that moment, like those 11 minutes <laughs> just got me hooked on racing. And yeah, going into 2019, this will be my fourth uh, summer racing. Yeah, that that's yeah. way cool. So to kind of rewind, you know, part of that, and, w- and we'll spend quite a bit of time I- here in a minute talking about the ISAs and the World Paddleboard Championship and you representing Team Canada. But part, it sounds like part of, if I had to kind of play it back, you know, you're a teenager, you find SUP, you really like it. And there's also another kind of parallel story is there's some significant events in your life that um, got you really interested in helping others who ha- you know, are less fortunate, who are battling cancer or other illnesses. And as you mentioned, you, you developed this fundraiser, but it feels like the fundraiser also and the connections you made kind of elevated your own paddling game because you mentioned you made a lot of people, you got this race board, just the network you've developed around you. It sounds like it maybe may have elevated your paddling game to kind of help you get to where you are today so let's so talk about the fundraiser and talk about how you put that together it's called onboard where'd that come from um you know and, and how you did that when you were probably 15 16 ish years old mm-hmm. yeah so uh during those early years while i was <laughs> saving up for the uh famous paddleboard <laughs> um <laughs> in 2011 i lost two friends of mine to cancer um so lynn lambert she was my next door neighbor and she was a local high school teacher at Welland Centennial. So she had like touched a lot of lives in the Welland community. And yeah. her loss was um, very, very sudden. I'll mm-hmm. never forget. Like, um, it was actually around this time eight years ago now. Because, yeah, that was 2011. And so my mom had come home from visiting her in the hospital. And was like, hey, guys. Um, yeah, Lynn's not doing so hot. And we all looked at her and we said, oh, like, can we go visit her? Like, do we have a lot of time? And my mom was like, no, like, she's expected to pass tonight. And I just remember being so young and not really fully understanding what was happening. Like, I knew that was sad, but I don't think my brain could process that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yep. Um, so, yeah, Lynn had passed away that night. And then in May... I was sitting in school and at this point I was grade nine and on the announcements, my principal had said, Hey everyone, um, please keep the Turner family in your thoughts and prayers. Um, they're going through a really hard time right now. So just send all the love you can their way. And I just remember thinking like, huh, like what, what's going on? What's happening here? And so one of my high school classmates, Julia Turner, um, we were pretty good friends. We played soccer together growing up. And that year in high school, she was also in my grade nine drama class. So we had a lot of fun, like goofing around. And um, to hear that her family was going through a hard time, I just remember thinking like, man, like what the heck is happening? Like what? What's going on now? 
Um, so I reached out to her and her family and that May she was diagnosed with glioblastoma, which is a super aggressive form of a brain tumor. And so for seven months, she fought really, really hard. Um, but on December 23rd, 2011, she passed away as oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. And because Julia was my age, she was, uh, 15 at oh, the time. Geez. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. So to lose two people in one year, um, was really, really heart wrenching, really left a big hole in not only my heart, but the community of Welland as well. Yeah. Um, I bet. Yeah. Like Julia, even though she was 15, she touched the lives of so many people, um, both of her parents were teachers at my high school that I went to, which was Notre Dame. And so our whole community felt it there, as well as her dad runs um, a non-for-profit in Welland called the Hope Center. So mm. Julia was always there, like volunteering, um, serving food on Saturdays to the homeless and just really, truly a remarkable human being for someone who was only 15 years old. Yeah. And so to lose them both, I thought, man, like one, this really sucks. <laughs> and two, what, what the heck can I do as a 15 year old? How can I give back to two people that meant so much to not only myself, but the Welling community. And so the following year, that's when I got my paddleboard was December of 2012. And so when I took it out that following spring for the first time, I just remembered the idea kind of hit me like, I don't know, like Sir Isaac Newton's apple on the head or something. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it just kind of was like a <laughs> light bulb bam moment. Yep. And I was thinking like, hey, what if I created a fundraiser out of what I am standing on right now? Mm. And so I remember for the rest of the summer, I kind of had that idea in my head, but I was really afraid to tell a lot of people because I yeah. just thought like, man, I'm 15 years old. Like maybe I'm not old enough to host a fundraiser. Maybe I'm not mature enough. Like I don't, I don't know how I would even pull this off. Um, and especially because I hadn't heard of anybody doing any fundraisers like that ever in my area. So in my head too, I'm thinking like, how the heck do I book the Welling Canal? Like, <laughs> how do you book a body of water? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that following fall, um, I decided that this idea needed to come out of my head. I had to get over this fear of rejection or fear of failure or, or feel of fear of not being able to do it yeah. and just see what other people thought. And so I had told my mom first and she looked at me and she said, Maddie, not one thing about that idea is dumb and let's make this happen. And so from there, I got connections with the city of Welland and made it happen for 2014. Right, cool. And that was basically like a fundraiser. People would donate and you did a paddle. What was it like? Uh, how many? 20 kilometers, 10 down and 10 back? What was it? Uh, it was 10 kilometers in total. So yeah. the first year I did it, I paddled by myself. And so, yeah, it was uh, five kilometers up like on okay. the north course of the Welland Canal and then five kilometers back. Got it. Got it. And then you continue to do this, that, that uh, benefits since. And you're now on your fourth year, fifth year? Actually, 2019 is going to be year six. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah. I'm super cool. stoked. And so what's the format? People sign up and they come out with you and everybody's um, asking for donations. It's probably like a you know an online site. People can donate and you guys do this paddle and it's all to benefit like local families or research. Where, does the, where do you guys do with the funds that you raise? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so all funds raised go to specifically brain cancer research with the Canadian Cancer Society. Cool. Um, and really cool, this year I've been working with a development officer, specifically in the Niagara region, to pick certain projects that the Canadian Cancer Society is fundraising um, to have the money go to this year. So every year it's kind of just been in a general bucket of like this goes yeah. to either families who are struggling to pay hospital bills, uh, parking passes, things like that. Um, and then the other 40% goes to the actual research. Um, so this year I'm kind of excited to specifically pick like which research projects I want the money to go to. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's really neat. Um, I like to make the event as accessible as possible. So when I ask people to register, I don't put a fee on it. I don't ask them to raise their own funds. I basically just say, hey, come on out, enjoy a lovely day on the Welland Canal. Let's just paddle for two amazing people who gave back to it, like so much to our community mm. and just donate whatever you can. Um, so even though it is a fundraiser and every year I do want to see um, more funds being raised, I always like to put it, though, in the back of my head that it's not the most important part of the day, and Julia and Lynn are. Yeah, yeah. So that's, as, as cheesy as it sounds. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's, that's, yeah, that's the spirit of the whole thing, which is just that. It's, the people will come out, not because they'll come out to share in the spirit of these people who they might have known, they might not have known, but just the idea of coming out and paddling for something that's I don't know, larger than yourself. People do mm -hmm. dig that. You know, there's events here that I do and I, all over the place in memorial of folks, you know, it's really cool. So what, how many um, participants did you get last year in 2018 show up? Last year we had a record breaking 89 paddlers oh, on the water. Awesome. That's great. I, I couldn't believe it. I just remember standing there and looking behind me and seeing everybody yeah. on the water and I was like, am I dreaming right now? This isn't real. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, good for you. So you, you. you put this cool fundraiser together. It's something that's ongoing. More people are getting people in the water. You're getting people excited. Now, meanwhile, you're continuing as you're sort of in the timeline uh, you know, of your life. Um, you continue racing. There's a lot of races up there. There's an indoor event you do. You keep moving forward. But now go forward to, let's say, almost a year ago. March, call it spring of 2018, um, because at about midsummer, June, at least here in Santa Cruz or in, in the States, where the qualifier was for the national paddleboard team. So when did you decide, when did you hear about that as even a, a thing? And when did you decide that you were going to push it and try to make the Canadian team? Oh man, I love this question because actually how I got on the team is a really funny story. Oh, cool. um, so yeah, if if you told me this time last year that Maddie, you'd be going to China to compete for Team Canada, yeah. I wouldn't believe you. I, I would be laughing in your <laughs> face. I'd be like, no, like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and so what had happened was about this time last year, um, our Canadian national team, so CSA Canada, had released uh, the qualifying the qualifier date uh, for the competition out in Sydney, BC, which okay. was going to take place at the end of May. So if you could go out there and compete in uh, the distance, the surf, uh, sprint and technical, then you'd have a shot of making the team. And so I remember looking at my parents and 
I begged them to go. Like yeah. I said, Mom, Dad, like I know this will only be my third summer racing, um, but I really, really want to push myself. I want to see um, what my skill level is compared to the rest of our national team riders. Yeah. And even if I didn't make the team, I just kind of wanted to see where I was at because for me, just having two years under my belt, like as much as I'd like to say that's pretty awesome, it's it's not a lot compared right. to yeah, a true. lot of the professional racers out there. Yep. Um, yeah. So um, my parents, though, with this, <laughs> they they are so supportive. Like I love them so much. Um, but they both looked at me and they just said, you know what, Maddie, like give yourself some time, keep training, um, and go for a year where you feel like your skill level will be there. And also when we have the money, because BC and Canada, even though if I were to hop on a plane, it would be a domestic flight. It's, um, super, super expensive to fly out there. Yeah. And you got to bring board and that adds a bunch of cost. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like Air Canada is usually great with that. But yeah, like for me, basically the cost in my skill level wasn't enough. Like it wasn't a good justification to get myself out there. Yep. Got it. Um, so as hard of a pill that was to swallow, I was like, yeah, okay. Like, you know, you, are, you guys are right. Like I do need to be humble here and just think like, yeah, you know, give myself a few more years and maybe I'll try to make Team Canada. Um, so fast forward I go to Nicaragua in May. Instead, I went on a surfing trip, which was so much fun, and then came back, uh, competed in the Ontario Sup Series for my summer season around here because we have such a short season. Yeah. Um, and I was very lucky to win the overall title for the elite division uh, for the females, which I thought was pretty cool. I definitely didn't think that was going to happen either. Wow, congrats. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, so I came off of like such a great racing season, um, September comes along and I get a phone call from one of my friends named Ariel Armoral. and Ariel had gone out to BC already and she had made the team. Um, uh, but when she called me, she's like, Maddie, um, one of our females can't go to China this year. Um, so there's a spot open. Would you like to go? Cool. And I just remember being in like complete shock. And I said, Oh, like, Ariel, this is so amazing. Like, I really appreciate that you gave me a call and you, you thought of me, like, out of everybody in Canada. I was like, are you sure you have the right Maddie? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, I said, this is unreal. This is so amazing. Like, thank you for thinking of me. Um, but because it was September and I had just started my last year of school here for my undergrad at Waterloo, um, I just knew I wouldn't have the funds to go and with school and exams and my thesis, I I was like, oh, I'm sorry, Ariel, but I'm going to have to say no. I can't do uh, it. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> she she hangs up the phone. She's like, yeah, that's okay, buddy. Like, I'm sorry you can't come. And so I just remember being so sad about that. Like, I was like, man, <laughs> I wanted to go and then <laughs> I can't go. Um, so then fast forward another month later in October, um, Ariel calls me again. And she's like, Maddie, we still haven't found someone. I know you already said no, um, but there's this other guy on the team. His name is Dan, and he's offering to pay for your flight. So if you can come, if you can get the time off, like, we would love to have you. Like, please. Oh, wow. That's I, insane. I, I was like, oh, my God. Okay, this has to be fate because now this is second time that they're calling me to come. And uh, at that point, I knew I was further along in my school semester. So I knew that I wasn't going to have any exams. I wasn't going to miss anything super big with school. 
and this is kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So at that wow. point, I couldn't say no. <laughs> so, so you, but at that point, you're like, you're like weeks away. You're almost like days away from the event, right? It's October. The event's in November. So now, when you say yes, now you have to like figure it out, right? The plane ticket, getting your board packed up, the logistics, the travel, all that stuff. And so how was that process? Did the other folks on the Canadian team who were already kind of prepping for it since summer, did you just kind of, did they already have all the logistics worked out and you just kind of had to show up and get on board with the itinerary that they had put together? Or was it your own kind of thing from scratch? You had to figure out how you're getting there and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very half and half. So my board was already figured out. Um, my plane ride there was already figured out. Um, so basically all the nitty gritty details like the travel insurance and visa, um, all that jazz was kind of up to me on my own. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, at that point, I was three weeks away from oh, China. Geez. So how I pulled that off, I look back at that moment and think, man, I don't know how the heck I did it. But um, yeah, it was it was insane. It was so crazy getting all that together. Oh, I bet. I bet. So then you get out there and, you know, as you mentioned, when we chatted, um, Kylan Winter, who's a 15 year old gal here in Santa Cruz, was on the U.S. paddleboard team. She did the prone. Um, so we spent a lot of time watching, following her, had a nice chat with her on the podcast not that long ago. Um, so how was it for you? So, I mean, I, we've heard about the distance race, the technical stuff. So another question, I guess, not before even getting there. So you you get the call, you commit, and now, yeah, you got to figure out the logistical part. But what's going on in your mind as, as now you're like, holy crap, I'm going to go compete against the best in the world, right? I mean, you look at the U.S. team, there's like a Candace Appleby who's been doing this f- for a long time and is crazy strong and real stud. And there's the Australians who are just other level. So what's, what's going on in your mind? How are you getting kind of mentally prepared to go out there and paddle against the best in the world? Definitely. Um, I think I didn't really actually have the time to <laughs> fully mentally oh, prepare yeah. now that I look back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which I, I do think actually that was quite a blessing in disguise because yeah. I just remember thinking like, again, all the nitty gritty details, like trying to get all of that together. I wasn't really able to think about what my competition would be like. I think I just was focusing on myself and just getting there. And once I finally got to China, I think that's when like I'm standing on the beach and I'm watching the sup surfers on um, like the ladies. And um, I even remember seeing Candice go out there for a training session. And I'm thinking like, oh yeah, man, I'm, I'm here against the best people in the world. Like, right. <laughs> this is happening. Um, so yeah, I think I just went in with the mindset of knowing that I had no training necessarily for this event. Yeah. Um, even though I came off of a great racing season, I just knew that I would have to go in with such an open mind and to be humble in that experience and just kind of see where my skill level is at against the best in the world and yeah. enjoy the ride. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, that's, that's actually like for me doing, I don't do a lot of competitive stuff, maybe three or four races a year. But when I used to think, when I used to have set expectations for myself in these things and, and sometimes you hit them, that's cool. But when you set these expectations, at least for me in my kind of feeble mind, <laughs> it, it adds a little bit of stress. But when you go in and you're like, look, I feel pretty good. I've been training. I think physically I'm there. 
but you keep that open mind about I'm just going to go do the best I can without like setting this. I want to hit two hours and 15 minutes or I want to place top 10. Like that's cool to do. And a lot of people really thrive on that for sure. But I like for my own self and it sounds like as you're saying, going in with that open mind and then it's just the, it, it, enjoying the experience, right? Because here you are in China out of nowhere, you know, and you can now really open your mind to just enjoying it, being out there versus really kind of stressing on <laughs> who you're paddling against and how strong <laughs> they are and how much experience yeah. they have and everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, I, I could not agree with you more <laughs> on that. Like, I feel very blessed in the way I got to go there and got to experience China. I yeah. wouldn't have had it any other way. Right, right on. So take us through the events. I mean, the uh, start start with the the long distance, right? Because it was an interesting kind of course where there's different kind of like a big triangle sort of with a flat water section downwind and then there's also like kind of a side chop so how did you find that water somebody who you know as you mentioned hadn't spent a lot of time in the ocean in general also hadn't spent a ton of time you just went to Nicaragua so you'd felt some warm water hot water which is kind of like where you were in Hainan so how was that race in those conditions for you definitely um yeah the the long distance for me was actually um, kind of like disappointing and super tough. Um, I actually wasn't able to finish the long distance. I did drop out. Yeah. And for me, it was really disappointing because that is what I thrive in here mm. in Niagara and, and on the Great Lakes. I, I love distance. Like I've competed in the Lake Ontario paddleboard crossing race twice, which is like 52 kilometers yeah. from Niagara to Toronto. And so dealing with swell and those kinds of conditions isn't really new to me. Right. Um, but what had happened leading up to that race was the long distance was actually supposed to be first on the schedule. And then because the swell had gone up so much and we were going to get waves at the beginning of the competition, yeah. uh, the ISA had decided to kind of switch around the schedule. So everything happened backwards. Um, so in the technical race, I had to borrow a board from China. That's another story I can tell you in a minute. But um, <laughs> using that board actually really threw out my back. Oh, so by no. the time, yeah, I, oh man, I was so upset. But yeah, by the time the distance race came along, um, I was about halfway through the first lap and I was on the downwind section of the course. And I just remember being out there and I was so amazed by how beautiful it was. And getting to that downwind section, I was so happy because I love downwinds. Right. Um, but I could just feel it so much in my back. Like it was like this pain was shooting all the way up and oh, I looked yeah. out at the water and like, I'm kind of trying to like calm myself down and um, feel the ocean a little more. And I'm like, yeah. okay, Maddie, like, come on, like you can do this, like keep pushing. Um, so I get to, I think it was about the fourth buoy. And so now I'm about to hit the side wind section. Right. And as soon as I turned my board around, I just knew I, I couldn't do it. Like my oh, back was like, geez. yeah, no, Maddie, you can't. Yep. <laughs> so, um, yeah, unfortunately there was a boat right there. So I just, I kind of waved over and I hopped on the boat and they brought me back to shore and they actually had to pull the boat almost like right up to the shore because they asked, they said, can you paddle in from here? And I looked at them and I was like, I'm so sorry guys. Like I actually cannot, like my back is like, I felt like a 98 year old grandma or something oh, like that. Totally like, locked down lock or locked over. up. 
Wow. Yeah, like totally cramped up. Like it was it was pretty bad. Um so to me the conditions were so unique and so amazing and I really wanted to have that shot to play in them because we don't get to have that too often around here where I yeah. get to go. Um but yeah, unfortunately I couldn't finish the distance which Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, well sorry to hear about that, but it sounds like I mean, it sounds like you you're good at keeping a good attitude through even stuff like that. Uh, so then what went down with your board and why did you borrow a board from China for the technical race that threw out your back ultimately? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what had happened was two days before I got on the plane to go to China, I get a phone call um, from my friend Dan, who um, also paid for my plane ticket. And he calls me and he's like, hey, Maddie, like, I've got some bad news about the board. And I was like, Dan, like, yeah, like what's going on? And Dan was supposed to bring a starboard sprint from Alberta. And so he was going to drive from Alberta to the Vancouver airport to hop on a plane there. And on the way over, uh, typical Canadian backcountry yeah. um, hit some black ice on one of oh, the highways yeah. by like the mountainous region. Yeah. And totally flipped his truck. Uh, board was on top of the truck and completely destroyed um, his starboard that both of us were supposed to borrow. Oh, man. Yeah. So I just remember getting this phone call being like, oh, no. Because in my head, too, I'm like, man, I'm two days out now. I can't get my board to China. Like, that's right. not happening. Um, so Ariel calls China. And there was a surf club just down the road from the event site. And they had about six extra stand-up paddle boards that they were lending out to racers, like just in case if anything like that happened yeah. or any malfunctions. And so we were able to get our hands on one of those boards. And so that's what I had to use for the technical race, unfortunately. And, and Dan had to use it as well. So, oh man. And what well, those are like yeah. rentals, I'm guessing. So they were like, they probably, oh, yeah. I'm guessing, <laughs> I think I'm, and I'm looking on Instagram, I was at Facebook. Um, shots of you holding that board and yeah i'm just guessing it, it just doesn't look as aerodynamic and probably as you know high performance as a lot of everybody as everybody else's board so you're kind of yeah. kind of a yeah. tape style rental board and so when you took that thing out in the course so where at what point did that did you have the your feel the, the problem with your back happen during that technical race yeah i would have to say it was during the repercharge round um, because in my first heat, I had placed ninth, uh, so I didn't make the top five, so I had to go back into the repercharge, yep. and that heat was only an hour after the first one, um, so really not having like a lot of rest time, and uh, going really, really hard in the first heat on that very heavy board, yeah. um, I could kind of start to feel it in my back, oh, but I knew that I had to give it my all for the repercharge if I wanted yep. to make it the final yeah and so yeah it was definitely after the repercharge round that I walked on the beach and I just remember thinking like "Ooh, yeah this isn't good um right. <laughs> but I kind of tried to ignore it because I didn't I didn't want to feel that pain I just I was so excited to be where I was and I was so excited to give it my all and yeah and my best and I just was like, yeah, nope, this isn't happening. Nope, nope, you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. You're like, is this really happening right now? And you can kind of like shift your mind away from this, the reality that you know is lurking, you know, with your physical challenge at this back thing. But then you get back 
out there later on the distance run and you just know that it's going to destroy your back and your smart cone in because that's something you don't want to like, you know, mess with. And so I think you told, you did made the right call jumping on the boat and not, not sacrificing your body even further. Yeah. Like it was really unfortunate because I was able to make friends with like a lot of other people from around the world. And so I had met um, Ginny with uh, team Great Britain and she had allowed me to borrow her starboard for the distance race too. And so in my head, I was like, yes, finally, I'm on some like home turf. <laughs> yeah. That I know I can paddle this board. This is going to be great. And I, cause I knew I was like, I cannot race on that rental board again. Like that's going to be way too heavy. And for that amount of distance, like I can't do that. Right. Like, no. Right. Um, so yeah, I was so confident in that fact too, that I was like, yes, now I finally have the proper equipment. I can do this. And yeah, just physically my body was like, um, no. And even now we're like, we're at Friday, March 8th and I'm still doing physio for my back. So yeah, it's really unfortunate, but (laughs) I mean, um, still, I wouldn't take back anything. I don't regret anything. And I'm just so happy I got to be there. Yeah, no, it's cool. I mean, it's, that's one of the things about all of this stuff is, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, I've talked to folks like world competitive, like number one and guys like, well, Lincoln do is a good example from Australia. One of the best, probably top three paddleboarders in the world did Molokai last year and halfway through, I think he had a back thing and just got to call it, you know I mean? That's just the reality of it all. I mean, just cause you, you know, travel around the world and, and work out and train and the day of, I mean, anything can happen, you know? And so it's just a fact of what we do with endurance sports is your body might feel killer right now, but in an hour from now, after, you know, mile five or six, <laughs> you might be in a totally different place. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's the reality oh, it's of it all. So true. I can't even tell you how many races I start like that. Like I'm so happy. And then halfway through, I'm like, okay, here's the grind. Like, yeah. let's go, let's go. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But one of the things too, and you, you touched on it is the friendships you made with the other, you know, international paddlers, one, you know, a friend from Great Britain now who let you use your board, which is a pretty, you know, neat thing. There's a lot of cool shots of you on Facebook and Instagram of you with other folks, you know, from different countries, smiling, having fun. So talk about that aspect you know, of the event and, and just kind of what you took away from that, you know, being able to just meet people who share, you know, a love for paddling in the water that, you know, from all around the world. So how do, what does that kind of mean to you? Oh, wow. Um, oh, it means everything to me. Like, um, man, so many cool stories I could talk about with the people I met. Um, I remember meeting uh, Tyler Basher for the first time yeah. um, from the States as well. And we were talking a bit back and forth on Instagram. And I just remember thinking when we first started talking, I was like, man, it'd be so cool to meet this guy in person. Like he seems really friendly. And then let alone, yeah, like a few months later, here we are standing on the beach together. Um, so that was really cool. Um, Candace Appleby with it was in my heat for the technical race. And so after racing against her, I, I went up to her on the beach and I looked at her and like, I'm so out of breath, right? Like I'm done, (laughs) but I'm trying to like put this big smile on my face. And I said, man, Candace, it was such an honor to race against you. And she looks at me and she's like, wow, like, thank you. And so that moment to me was really special. Yeah. And, um, even April Zilg too, meeting her, yep. a lot of States people, I guess I'm saying right now, but, uh, yeah, she was so amazing. And for her, her story to me is really inspirational because, um, she got into it as well. 
around uh, my age, because I'm 22 now, and to hear her story of like coming out of university and just wanting to change her life around and be an overall healthier, fitter person yeah. has always really resonated with me. So yep. to be able to tell her that in person, oh cool. man, I, I can't even tell you how amazing that moment was. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, so many neat byproducts of what, of what you went and did while, you know, initially you're thinking I'm going to go compete and it's going to be about competition. I'm representing my country and you did, you know, admirably, the byproduct of that was these, what you just described, like, you know, having the ability to talk with these people, form these relationships, you know, and I think that's one of the really cool things that we talk quite a bit about, um, the sense of community here on the podcast and just in general around paddling, you know, surfing, you can equate it with surfing where kind of people usually aren't really friendly with each other <laughs> just because yeah. <laughs> they're very selfish over their waves. I get it. I, I, I know paddling is a little bit different, you know, and so it is cool where you can show up on Hawaii and do a Molokai crossing next to the best person in the world who is just going to sit and high five you and drink a beer with you just like anybody else, you know, and then here you are, um, you know, at the ISAs in China and it's the same kind of vibe, you know, that's one of the really great things about paddle sports, you know, I think. Oh, yeah. I I couldn't agree with you more. And especially, I feel so blessed to be around here, like in the Niagara region, and have that same sense of community. And it's pretty unique here, too, especially with our surfing culture. Um, it's so funny, like when we do get waves on the Great Lakes, like everybody freaks out. So everyone's like, yeah, like we got to go. And literally, you're sitting in the lineup. And even if someone like cuts you off, like nobody gets mad at each other yeah, around here. Like it's literally cool. like, yeah, sure. Like take my wave. It's okay. Like, you know, we don't get these often. So like go for it. And right. That's way just, cool. Yeah. It's so unique. And especially in, in stand-up paddleboarding, I don't think I've ever been a part of another community um, like it. Like growing up, I did a lot of other sports. I, I swam a lot. I played soccer and I danced and none of those communities have the same feeling as yeah. in the paddleboarding. Yeah, I agree with you. I did all the board ball, you know, field sports. I, mean, I always surfed and skated and did everything else in the ocean while playing football, while being baseball and golf and other things. But I agree with you, you know, that the community and that feel you get from the water sports is just different. You know, it's a little bit deeper, that connection. So then kind of, you know, stay on this a bit. So part of what you're up to today is you also, you actively speak and you speak about a couple of different topics and I'll let you take this forward and really correct me. But one is about like paddling, um, and, and the environment. And I believe this is a focus for you in college today in the university is around a thesis of this. you also have some thoughts and perspective that you're sharing, I believe tomorrow night at a speaking event around paddling and sort of, you know, the idea of spirituality and, and, and self and what kind of paddling and being in the, in the, on the water, you know, kind of means to folks. And so talk about both of those. So first, how you got even hooked up into like speaking, right. You know, um, and then <laughs> what it is these topics are and, you know, talk, talk, take us through those. Definitely. Yeah. So I think the first time I really started, um, getting into speaking engagements was okay we're at 2019 so I want to say 2016 I believe yeah so that would have been my third year of my undergrad in university and I just started realizing that my fundraiser was starting to pick up a lot of momentum and that what I've learned from my fundraiser 
I just thought like, why don't I share what I'm doing and what I'm learning? Because I'm meeting a lot of really cool people. I'm learning a lot of environment and entrepreneurship skills while hosting this fundraiser. So why don't I share with my friends and family kind of the cool things I'm doing with it? And so once I started speaking about my fundraiser, it kind of just since then has taken off into so many other different aspects of my life. Yeah. Um, like tomorrow, the event I'm going to be speaking at, it's kind of a first for me. I've never really been able to have the privilege to talk about how unique paddling has been in shaping my life. And it all started from my fundraiser. And even just to have this opportunity to sit here and, and chat with you is like really cool. So yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about that. Um, yeah, I'm trying That's, to think, um, man. Yeah, there's yeah, so much no, I could talk about. <laughs> that looks cool. Um, yeah, no, it's just neat that you're able to articulate. A, 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 it's neat that you're you're willing to express sort of what this sport, this activity means to you, you know, um, versus just being super humble, which is fine. Like, I know plenty of people have just, super humble and they just, Oh, I just go paddle. But it, it, it means something super deeper that they're not willing to express. And that's totally cool. It's neat that you're, you're willing to express it. Um, cause I'm kind of the same way wearing my heart and my sleeve about what being in the water means to me in different capacities, whether I'm chasing a fish or paddling or doing whatever surfing or being with my kids. Um, but then also you're able to articulate it and just talking with you today, like you have a really nice, you know, you speak really well. And so it's neat that you're able to put those together and then share, because I do know that, there's a lot of inspiration that people get, even if they don't ever put a toe in the water. Um, mm -hmm. When they hear about people who do put their toes in the water quite a bit, you know, there's actually, it's funny, there's a, um, I'm going to do a podcast with, um, there's a, well, it's in Canada, actually. There's a, a uh, like a Disasters at Sea show that's airing in Canada. And one of their, like, master, like, mariner guys who, you know, basically guides the show so when they recreate these scenes of a ship sinking, this guy's there to be really factual to make sure it's all correct. And one of the people I've been talking to there, she's like, I listen to podcasts. It's great. And I was like, oh, cool. So are you in the ocean? She's like, no. I'm, I'm <laughs> but yeah. it's still, there's so much inspiration people get when they hear stories. And so what you're doing, you know, when you, when you speak and, and share your time of, of being in the water, what it means to you, it, it's definitely inspirational for other folks. So then what about your thesis in school? What is that all about? Yeah. Um, well, first off, I, I just want to say thank you so much. That, that means a lot to me, <laughs> all the things you just oh, said. Cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so with my thesis, kind of the really neat thing about that, too, is um, here, stand-up paddling in Canada, we're still growing it a lot. Like, there's a lot of room for people to still understand and learn what it is and the fact that you can raise stand-up paddle boards. Yeah. And so um, what happened was through my speaking engagements and learning about all the opportunities um, I've put out there with stand-up paddleboarding, um, I kind of had a feeling about paddling and what it was doing for me, like emotionally, physically, and mentally. And I just kind of thought, man, like, has anybody ever like researched kind of the effects of water and what recreation can do um for ourselves and mm -hmm. our connection to the environment and so when I was in second year I read a book by Wallace J Nichols I, I don't know if you've heard of it it's called Blue Mind yeah I was just thinking that I have read that and it was I was trying to think of the name as you were describing the whole yeah. thing yeah yeah it's it's incredible yeah yeah and that book like reading it I was like 
man, where has this book been all my life? Like, this yeah. is amazing. Like, I literally feel like this guy is writing about everything I'm feeling and yeah. things I, I thought about. And it's kind of cool to see the scientific research behind why we are attracted to the water and what it does for us. And so reading it just got me super stoked. I think I've read it like three times. Like, I love oh, this bad. book. Yeah. And I've probably have quoted it in my thesis like five gazillion times. <laughs> Um, but when I was reading it, I just remember thinking like there was one chapter specifically on recreation. So stand up paddleboarders, surfers, um, canoes, kayaks, uh, those kinds of people getting involved with the water and why they go back to the water. Yeah. And I just remember thinking like, man, I wish this chapter was longer. I would love to learn more about it. And so in my fourth year for my undergrad, um, our professors came to us and said, hey, guys, like to graduate, essentially, you can either do a thesis stream or a seminar and thesis. You get to research whatever you want, but you have to write a proposal. And so in my head, I was like, well, everybody already knows I'm crazy about paddleboarding now <laughs> around yeah. here. Like all my friends know I'm the I'm the kook. But um, <laughs> why not try doing some research about this, seeing yeah. where I could take. And so, yeah, I put in my proposal and the undergraduate committee looked at me and they were like, really, Maddie? Like, this is what you want to do? And <laughs> um, it was very unique because a lot of my other friends in my faculty of environment, they're researching like bird populations and um, environmental restoration projects. And then along comes Maddie <laughs> with a stand-up paddleboarding project. And, oh, cool. Um, yeah. So one of my profs, um, really super cool. His name's Smurf. Shout out Smurf. <laughs> he mm -hmm. comes up to me and he's like, Maddie, like, I would love to supervise you for this. Let's see where, what we can do with it. And so I thought, man, this is amazing. Like, let's do it. And so last September, I started interviewing um, a wide range of stand-up paddleboarders um, from people who have only been on the board maybe once or twice to professionals like Zane Schweitzer um, and Lina as well from Canada. And I wanted to kind of see their perception of the environment through stand-up paddleboarding mm. to see if paddling can act as a positive intervening process to care for the environment. And uh, yeah, I'm not done writing it yet, but it is due in a month. <laughs> so <laughs> I will have that ready soon. <laughs> but what I've learned from it is just absolutely amazing and fascinating. And I just yeah. feel so privileged to get to research this cool that's cool and who knows where that takes you i mean that that's so neat that i mean there's a lot of folks i can almost guarantee them probably everybody listening to this whether it's right now or in five years will is nodding their heads going yeah i mean you just it's just a fact you know when you participate in nature especially with stand-up paddleboarding which like you said it gives you a cool perspective when you're laying down the water, you can see a lot. That's cool. But when you're standing up, it's different. You, you, your gaze penetrates deeper. You see further, you know, and this your connection with the, the environment and wanting to do something about it um, is definitely magnified, you know. So I, I, I'm looking forward. If you would send me a copy when you're done, I'd love to read it. Oh, my thesis. gosh. Yes, I definitely will. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just it's so unique. Like even yesterday, um, I was traveling on the bus from Waterloo to come back to Niagara <laughs> Um, and I downloaded the Max Montgomery podcast Oh yeah, cool. and I'm listening to that and I'm like, man, this is amazing. Like, man, this guy is literally speaking my language and <laughs> yeah, I just feel like we're so privileged with what we get to do and the perspective that we do have on the environment. And I think it does make us care for it more. 
Yeah, so, right on. Yeah. Uh, I, I totally agree. Well, good for you. And, and thanks for doing that. I mean, there's not enough we can each as individuals can do to spread what we feel about the water and want to, to others. And then hopefully the collective then does something more than what we're doing today to help preserve it, protect it, et cetera. You know, there's just not enough that we could all do. So that's cool <laughs> what you're up to. Um, so really, I mean, going forward, <clears throat> you're going to be finishing your thesis, get into another season of racing this summer. Anything else? Like, are you going to take another shot at going out to qualify for the Canadian team for ISAs this year in 2019? Yeah. I, oh man. Yeah. I've got so much coming up, <laughs> coming down the pipe. Cool. Um, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm planning to be in BC this year. So I want to go out and compete for a spot in May. Nice. Um, so yeah, I'm really stoked about that. Um, I also get to teach a sub kids camp this summer. Uh, so I'm really, really stoked about that. Uh, um, yeah, way cool. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of sub kids by oh, tell, give us some, and, Yeah. Tell us what that yeah. is. Sounds cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, it's unreal. Um, so Lindsay Hawking is the founder of sub kids and she founded it in partnership with starboard in 2008. And essentially what it is, it's, um, a kid's camp to get stand up paddleboarding kind of out there and get kids introduced to the sport. Um, but what's really unique about it is that it's not only showing kids, okay, here's a paddleboard, let's go paddling. It's more about, hey, here's a paddleboard, let's go paddling, but here's how you can move forward and be a steward of the environment. Oh, so cool. every lesson is broken down um, into like hazard maps or plastics and waterways, things like that to teach children that you guys can do something moving forward in the future for our environment. It's not all doom and gloom and you can start by just putting your paddle in the water. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love the theme of just getting kids connected with the water, but then also kind of adding in there that um, conservation aspect of being able to actually contribute <laughs> to protecting this cool thing that you're now doing. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm yeah. really stoked to bring it back this summer. Good deal. Well, Good luck getting your back, back in shape. Take your time on that thing, you know, uh, yeah. for sure. I know that from experience. And once you do, I'll, um, I'll be tracking you. And best of luck with the thesis, kids camp, um, on board, your own, your own effort you're doing. And then um, I would love to see you back on wearing the flag of Canada around you, parading down the beach the next ISA uh, event next year. Next year <laughs> I guess it is. Oh, Josh, that means the world to me. So thank you <laughs> so much. Yeah, for sure. So thanks, Manny, for coming on today. Really appreciate it. And we'll put a bunch of links to um, all the different things you're involved with, the kids camp, on board, et cetera, in, um, in the show notes. And then, uh, yeah, good luck to every, to, with everything. And then uh, thank you so much again. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. Like, I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, take care. All righty, you too. Bye-bye. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. We really appreciate all the support. Uh, if you like what you heard, uh, please, you know, uh, hype us up on social media. Always appreciate, you know, spreading the word. Uh, give us a nice little rating on the, uh, your podcast app and uh, just keep tuning in. If you're interested in being on the show and sharing some of your life stories, uh, hit me up, josh at thisoceanlife.tv. You can PM me on Facebook or Instagram. Anyway, thanks again for being here and have a great day.